This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Tonight, you're with Bite Into It on 3RRR with Cassie Wright. Hello. And I'm Vanessa Taholka. Hello. Good to have you here. Um, we're pretty keen about tonight's show. We are going to be learning um, about the origin of the famed robot who's making coffee in Collingwood. I think there's really not enough about tech and coffee combining. Yeah, you know? look, we really have nailed the brief to serve our Melbourne audience this <laughs> evening and we've been a bit chuffed about that. But uh, stick around if you want to hear all about um, our local robot friend. Uh, before we get there, though, there's tons of news this week. I don't know what's going on. It's not end of financial year in the States, but there's lots of tech news and changes there. Uh, some of them have been changes with Amazon. Now, this is Australia-specific. Cassie, what's been going on here? Well, you might have heard a bit of hubbub around the extra GST that uh, we will be paying on online purchases. So, um In a brief summary, we've kind of been flying under the radar a little bit. Um, We pay 10% goods and services tax on most things that we buy. However, we haven't been having that GST added to overseas purchases. Um, Since more and more Australians are actually shopping online and stuff from overseas, that's a huge amount of revenue that the government's missing out on. And it also kind of makes it unfair for Aussie businesses who then have to pay that 10%. So, um, the the way that um, Amazon's dealing with this is that from July 1st, it's going to force Australians to only buy from the amazon.com.au site rather than amazon.com. And with that, does that come a limited product line? Well, yeah. Historically, um, Australians have always had like a little bit of issues with what they could buy from Amazon before it launched here. Sometimes you could get items, but the shipping was still really expensive. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you'd have items that wouldn't ship to Australia at all. When the Australian site was uh, going to be launched, we spent ages covering it, being excited about what that would mean. But um, as most people would know, the amazon.com.au site... Excitement not equaling reality. No, it doesn't have everything that the American site does. Um, And so now there'll be a little difference when you actually go onto the site. You'll just be redirected to the Australian version. Um, However, Amazon hasn't disclosed which products will be available yet and people are getting a little bit worried. I think it's it's not the same when it comes to... um, streaming rights but if you think about it when there was no Netflix in Australia uh, everyone was using VPNs and stuff to to watch the American Netflix. Uh, I say everyone quite loosely and then when it launched in Australia Netflix really cracked down on that Mm. so um, people are also worried again whether this change will mean that Amazon itself will be cracking down on people using VPNs to access the American side or shipping to an American address and then having that sent to Australia? Look, it's an interesting case because I think the Australian government is well within its rights to capture tax if you decide that, you know, you have a a goods and services tax and that's how you're going to run it as much as I might not be pro-GST. That's what we have and companies operating within our jurisdiction should, you know, adhere to those rules. I wouldn't have thought the onus would be that difficult to put on extra charges based on location. So I feel like this is a little bit of a, we're a small pool in terms of a a market for Amazon. 
So it's they're deciding it's not worth their effort, and I think that's probably a bit calculated in hoping to influence you know regulatory change in in different markets that they access. Well, uh, I don't know. We have had uh, Jerry Harvey from Harvey Norman, who's the executive chairman, saying that Amazon was complaining and lobbying against the tax, and then now they're doing this as their little protest. Um, Look, this may be so, but I'm not I'm not sure that I think that. Um, some of these local retailers have always had consumers' interests at heart. So it's a, it's a little strange. I, I'm really happy for local businesses in terms of this outcome. I, I think that there's some real um, strong points there. But I also feel like protectionism has never been a great long-term strategy to have a really robust um, export market. And so there's, there's, you know, there's a tension there between um, things that are already here and, and products we can buy that are Australian made versus things that are imported and, yeah, you know, and getting the tax benefit of that and taking some social responsibility if you're a massive company. Yeah, I yeah. guess it's one of the things that we'd like to see um, some opinions or some change made from the company level. I mm. think as an individual consumer for products that are less than $1,000 that the GST is now going to be added onto before it was only if it was over one grand. Um, you know, there's only so much that we can do as individuals, but the companies are the ones yeah. that can do that. Mm. All right. Well, that's everything in Amazon news. Microsoft was in the news quite a lot over the last week. One reason um, was because they're now more valuable than Alphabet by about $10 billion. Um, we don't often talk about the financial markets, but because this is so closely tied to the strategies, I think this one's particularly interesting. Also because Microsoft was one of the you know hugest technology companies in the world for such a long time. And then it was effectively knocked off its perch um, by, you know, uh, Alphabet slash Google yeah. and Amazon and Facebook um, and who am I forgetting? The other, the other one of the five. Um, I was just going to say for anyone listening, who is Alphabet again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's it. Alphabet is uh, otherwise known as the company that created Google. But they're, they're really on the up at the moment, Microsoft, and it's it's pretty interesting. One of the reasons um, for their, their strong value at the moment is because of their commitment to providing services via the cloud and having success with the ones that have already been doing there. The other reason that they were in the news a lot this week was because they've confirmed that they're acquiring GitHub for $7.5 billion. Now, GitHub, for those who don't know, is a code repository where you can sort of see code and the changes to that made over time. Um, so it's something that's really used a lot in the open source community, but you can also have private instances of Git um, within companies to, to have like a code tracking database there. Um, um, it's just a fundamental piece of developer software. Lots of devs use it as part of a resume. You know, it's like, what is your, what does your GitHub look like? Um, so that is, it's huge. And I think, you know, there there's a lot of the developer community struggling with the news of that change and looking for alternatives and thinking, oh, what's going to happen? And, and so there's that normal uncertainty of, of being acquired and will, will the product path diverge now? So that's a, a watching brief for that one. It's interesting to see because I think Microsoft's been through a few dips and or highs and lows, mm. but they've they're quite robust 
uh, it seems. So yeah. we'll, we'll have to just have a look. Absolutely. Something that's not as robust <laughs> uh, is our dear old NBN that we've got here in Australia. A national what's, what's been happening with the NBN, Cassie? Oh, what hasn't? Well, <laughs> um, unless you've been under a rock or, you know, I maybe you've, you've accessed all your news via NBN, so you couldn't access this bit of information. Yeah. Um, but the NBN CEO has been under a lot of media scrutiny uh, this week for blaming gamers for NBN congestion. Well, let's say allegedly blaming gamers because there's some heated debate around that at the moment. Yeah. Um, so basically what happened is they the outgoing CEO is um, Bill Morrow, who is going to step down before the end of the year. And he said that the NBN is investigating a fair use policy that's going to throttle the data for some of the heaviest users. And when asked who would be affected by it, he said, gamers predominantly on fixed wireless. Now, this directly contradicts other stuff the NBN's put out previously, saying <laughs> that gamers aren't the ones that use uh, That's the, right. the there's, most. There's thought leadership on their own website, which says... You know, you might think that gamers use a lot of our bandwidth, but in reality, it's not so. Yeah. Believe it or not, some yeah. of the biggest online games use very little data yeah. compared <laughs> to streaming HD video or even high-fidelity audio. And uh, and the uh, Australian internet usage stats back this up. We know that there's a phenomena where around 6pm, when a lot of people have gotten home, suddenly the, the bandwidth usage gets maxed out as everyone switches on their, their streaming services, whether that be, you know, your stands, your Netflixes and all your other options. Well, as pointed out by um, Black Sword, that's with a one on Twitter, <laughs> um, Bill Morrow is the same guy that said that Aussies wouldn't use faster internet even if it was free. Um, so oh, it's a shame. Look, it's just um, these these demonstrably demonstrably false statements um, muddy the waters. And I think for those who don't play games and maybe don't work in ICT, you can hear these statements and think, "Oh, yeah, I didn't think much of games anyway, and now I'm going to blame them when I have slow internet." And it's really, you know, it's scapegoating. It's it's terrible. Uh, so what the um, the NBN's actually come out. NBN Co has issued a statement titled "Fact." Fact check. NBN Co CEO on online gamers and NBN fixed wireless network, which actually says Mr. Morrow didn't mean gamers. He meant super users, uh, <laughs> which would be affected. So, you know, for all the people out there who are streaming three shows at once and watching them with their three eyes. Super users. Super users. Yeah. Um, that That's actually doing that. Uh, we're yet to see. I think... You know, there's it's a shame because so there are some very clever people working at NBN Co. And for them to be branded, you know, with the with these sort of statements, I think it puts them in a very awkward position. It's it's unenviable. I mean, should we shift our working days into different lots so that we can have different people accessing the internet at different times? It's, it's something that comes up with all sorts of infrastructure, Cassie. I think it's just a matter of time. And we're thinking about coffee. That's because we have Liam Wilkie in the studio with us. He is a coffee specialist with over 10 years of experience um, working in coffee. He's also an engineer and the current vice president of Coffee Insights at ABAC. Welcome to studio, Liam. Thanks very much for having me, guys. It is great to have you in here. Um, like we said earlier, we felt like we really nailed the tech show in Melbourne brief this evening. We can't always do that. That's quite amazing. Um, so we heard rumours about a robotic barista in Collingwood. And then I met you and you told me that you're behind it. So 
when did this robot pop up? Like, how out of touch am I exactly? So we were operating our uh, little store in Collingwood uh, since December, just doing little small uh, service windows in the mornings, uh, offering uh, complimentary coffee while we uh, test the system, the prototype. Um, and so we've just uh, ceased that testing period now. So um, the site in Collingwood is currently not open, um, but we've just collected a lot of data and gotten a lot of information uh, from that. And, and now we'll be using that for the next iteration, which is coming soon. So I talked to some of my colleagues today about the fact that we were having you on and they seem to think they're like, oh, but there's already pods. There's a vending machine. How is a robot barista different to um, getting something out of your library at 2am? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely heard that question before. So um, I can appreciate there's everyone's going to, gonna, you know, come up with that response initially. Um, the way that we're doing it is effectively mimicking the way a barista is going to make coffee. Um, so, you know, you've got a, the espresso machine like you'd see in a cafe. You've got the grinder like you'd see in the cafe, uh, the porter filter or, or handle like the barista would hold. Um, and you're making coffee in the exact same way a barista would, but just with a robot. So it's like a robo butler kind of making the coffee? Well, look, you could sort of explain it like that in terms of what it can provide. But physically, uh, no, it's not like a C-3PO barista. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're definitely uh, a, a long way from that. But um, it's effectively just a, a large enclosure, um, like a, a cubic enclosure um, with, with two robot arms on the inside. It does remind me of always uh, what I've always hoped was behind those um, those sort of uh, cafes filled with little lockers that you could open up and someone was magically putting like a sandwich or an apple in little windows. It gives me that sense when you, when you look at it. It's this this big machine, but um, it's sort of working in a smaller area. Yeah, it is um, a pretty sort of small uh, uh, sort of footprint that we've designed the machine to operate within. And um, there's like a few... Um, like you say, those sort of uh, like unattended or, or like serviceless yeah. venues that operate, and yeah, definitely like I think they're auto mats or something, aren't they? Mm. Those those yeah. things, yeah. So it's a really, it's actually serving like a very old concept. This idea of you know taking the um, you know making the service really seamless. Well, it's like vending yeah. in an instance, but you know we're not sort of producing the same quality of product. Yeah. Um, you know, traditionally, like vending machine coffee is really quite poor because there's um, a lot of constraints that they have to adhere to in terms of how they can make the coffee. Um, but with the robotics, it means we don't have to accept those constraints. So when it comes to coffee, and you would know as VP of Coffee Insights, uh, <laughs> I think Melbournians like their coffee in many different ways. Um, you, you do hear baristas complaining about really convoluted coffee orders. So what type of, of coffees uh, can this robot provide? Are we just looking at flat whites or...? Well, yeah, you're, you're very correct in saying there's uh, always going to be variation on the, the standard coffee order. Um, we wanted to make sure that you know, we could... Uh, serve everyone the coffee that they like. So we did include a lot of different options. So you know we've got varieties of milk. Um, so we've got you know dairy alternative and your and your two dairy uh, you know regular and low fat. Um, and then we got you know three quarter full or, or half full lattes, uh, which are pretty common, especially in Melbourne. Um, and you know sugar quantities. Um, and for people who want like you know, macchiatos and long blacks, they can adjust the amount of water or the amount of milk that we use in their coffee. So it gives people that like amount of customization that they really, um, a lot of people really appreciate having uh, because they can decide how they want their coffee. And does the, the barista go to the extent of putting a pretty little 
pattern on top of your coffee? Look, at this stage, there's no latte art. Um, I I didn't want to include that uh, just because there'd be an additional process and so we really wanted to maximise throughput. Um, And... The machine is certainly capable if we mm-hmm. gave it a jug and, you know, wanted to yeah. pour rosettas or tulips <laughs> or something like that. Um, but, um, yeah, this is an additional step that we'd have to incur and so we thought we'd we'd um, not Start focus on that basics. initially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what sort of feedback are you getting from people when they when they get this coffee and, and, you know, are many of these people coming back more than once over yeah, the well, testing yeah, period? Yeah, we had a lot of regular customers. Yeah. Um, and, um, sorry, they generally generally were really positive. Yeah. Um, Everyone was really appreciative of um, being able to come in the morning, get themselves, get a coffee and see a robot in action. Um, and also to have the opportunity to uh, see um, something that, you know, you might see a video of on Facebook or something or, you know, someone talks about, oh, I saw this, I uh, went to a, a trade show and saw like a robot doing something sort mm. of vaguely like making a coffee. But, um, you know, in this case, you actually get to see something that, you know, makes a coffee for you. Uh, and you can come back every morning and use it, which yeah. is you know super, super yeah. interesting. So how do patrons actually communicate and get their order put through? Uh, you know, we've, we've dealt with vending machines where you're pressing buttons and or is it sort of like a Google Home or Alexa where they're yelling stuff out? Oh. Latte. <laughs> <laughs> Three quarters. <laughs> well, yeah, we wanted to... Um, make the ordering and, and collection process really straightforward. So we've got like a, a touch screen um, point of sale. So you can go up there and you just tap on latte and then it will give you single shot, double shot, all your different options. Um, and then you can just follow through and, and, and place your order, type your name in, um, and then it will appear on the queuing screen and you can see uh, the progress of your order as it makes it. So this uh, that's really interesting because I worked in fast food growing up. Uh, I think many of us have. And... Um, I think people who haven't done that or haven't worked in hospitality don't realise that sometimes the person at the front counter is using a touch interface to get your order through the system. Um, Not to go into it in too much detail, but for applications like this, I think people sometimes worry, oh, the robots are taking all our jobs, but there still is place for a customer service touch there with someone behind the counter and then robots actually making the coffee to perfection, never having burnt milk again, never having a trainee um, making it again. Uh, is that something that inspired you in this coffee journey? Well, I think, um, yeah, like the the touchscreen interface is a really good way to develop a really nice UI and everyone's really familiar with that sort of tech in their day-to-day life. So it's something that people are going to be comfortable using. Um, and I mean, obviously the, the question about is uh, jobs is a big one. Um, there's always uh, a yeah, discussion about you know, how do we see ourselves over the next five or 10 years um, as an industry? Um, And I think it's really important to recognise that, you know, in general, everyone uh, or the industry is always going to have a requirement for like human service as an element. People are going to want that component um, of um, of service, uh, human interaction. Well, yeah, you need to ask someone about, you know, explain to me these these orange notes that I'm meant to be getting from the Guatemalan blend. You know, yeah. That. How about that local sports team? Yes, or, you know, exactly. all the sort of general questions that you'll you'll get um, from your barista. I mean, um, uh, human interaction is is um, always going to be you know sort of valuable for for service because you can um, you know relate to people on a personal level and, and, you know, AI and robotics are a long way from achieving the sort of seamless interaction of humans and, and, and technology. So, um, 
there's definitely a case for for you know customer service to still in- include humans, but the actual mechanics of, of making coffee. Uh, I mean, it's the same as like an industrial process. A lot of industrial processes have had robotics and automation applied to them and, you know, they've been able to be you know, more consistent, uh, generate more throughput, uh, less wastage and, and things like that. And so that's what we're looking to do with coffee. Well, we've been talking a lot about disruption on this show for, for a few years now and and really um, the comment that sums it up was hearing that the things that were most ripe for disruption were um, dirty, dull and dangerous. And, and do you think that, you know, the barista job has any aspects of those those qualities in there? I think definitely all three. I mean, I've worked in a lot of busy cafes over my time in the industry. Um, yeah, definitely dirty, get covered in milk, covered in coffee grounds, spilt coffee. Um, dull, you know, standing behind the machine, cranking out hundreds or maybe even thousands of coffees can get pretty repetitive. Um, and, um, you know, it can be really stressful as well. So, I mean, there's there's a dull aspect, but there's also that sort of mental um, mental stress, which I guess you can look at you know, in terms of danger. Um, you know, being in like a sort of high stress environment every day um, can sort of take a toll mentally. Mm. Um, and also, um, you know, the, the RSI uh, potential for injury with baristas is quite high. Mm. Um, you know, you're sort of doing all these repetitive actions with your wrist or, you know, you're stepping left or right uh, repeatedly and using equipment in the same way, uh, lots of repeated actions. And, and you know, definitely see a lot of people in the industry with, with you know, these sort of injuries. Yeah. For me, what really stands out is, I, I know especially um, in the city or um, in some of the more hip areas, there's a trend towards the deconstructed or um, <laughs> see, I don't know how, how you feel about that, but um, I think as processes improve and we've seen, you know, for once, at one point in time, all ice cream was artisanal ice cream. And now we have the fancy ice cream and the the mechanical ice cream or, or so to speak. Um, do you do you see not just latte art but a place for you know the artisanal crafting of of coffee by hand if this sort of automation robotic takes off well i can see that um you know those two things can exist side by side in the industry for sure um and it will be i I expect to see the same sort of thing occur with um you know other um other industries um you know maybe bartending is another one to look at where you know be quite easy to automate the process of serving serving drinks or making cocktails um you know but potentially um the end user might think that you know they want a different experience by going to an artisan bartender who is going to make their drink by hand um and so you know that's something that we might see developing um, as automation sort of steps into these um, commercial uh, or like whether it's food service or or even just customer service sort of businesses. What do you think are the limitations of human-made coffee at this point? Yeah, that's really, really uh, interesting to look at. Um, I mean, the process of espresso brewing um, has been like, you know, manual up until this point. We've got the barista taking the portafilter, going to the grinder, you know, receiving a dose of coffee, um, you know, treating it in some way, tamping, you know, and then and then brewing it um, in the coffee machine. But um, as simple as that process sounds, there's like a huge amount of detail that needs to be accounted for in all those steps. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the ground coffee itself is actually quite a um, a sort of fickle product to deal with. It's very difficult to maintain consistency uh, in terms of um, you know the way that it distributes itself 
into the basket when you receive that mm-hmm. dose of coffee from the grinder. Um, and because you're about to sort of hit that with really high pressure uh, water, if there's any sort of density inconsistencies or clumps or or areas where the coffee is not evenly uh, dispersed, then um, you know you're going to see really inconsistent brewing, and 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 you know the water's going to find like a path of least resistance basically and just sort of shoot straight through there. Um, and um, you know, preparing a dose of coffee is, is something that a good barista should be able to do um, repeatedly, but there's still going to be uh, potential cases where, you know, if you're rushing or you're trying to just get that next coffee out when you've got, you know, 10 dockets in the line um, or dockets to the floor off the printer, as I'm sure a few baristas who might be listening have been there, um, you know, it can be easy to sort of skip these steps potentially if you're under the pump um, and, you know, that can result in a poor quality coffee. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the next aspect is measurement and and, and quality control um, and actually measuring the amount of coffee that um, you're dosing into the handle. So you're weighing that amount mm-hmm. uh, and you're weighing the amount of coffee that, that comes out. And, um, you know, that ratio of, of dose to yield is really critical because, um, you know, that... Um, that recipe can really define the way the espresso brews. And so if you're um, got, if you've got an inconsistent dose or you've got an inconsistent yield, um, then the result is going to be an inconsistently tasting espresso. Uh, even if you have got a really consistently prepared dose. Mm. Um, and then I hear that coffee behaves differently at different temperatures, depending on the, the blend. You or get a lot grind. of additional yeah. variability in the way that the coffee grounds will behave because, because there's, you know, they're, they're, they're ground particles. Uh, there's a mixture of coarse particles and fine particles. Even if you're using an espresso grind setting, which is, you know, fine within that, you've got a range of particle sizes because the grinder doesn't necessarily all produce coffee particles at the same size. Um, and so then you can have, you know, the fines can clump together. You've got oils in there as well, which will mm. affect the way the coffee sort of flows. It doesn't flow like a nice dry powder. Um, you get static, will affect the way it behaves. And Do you really want a coffee right now, Cassie? I'm just, <laughs> I'm starting to be like, oh, could go one. <laughs> I'm really blown away because never having been a barista, uh, I guess I didn't, realize how much precision or science went into, you know, the perfect cup of coffee or the standard cup of coffee um, and the the definitions between good and bad coffee. I think a lot of people uh, would put it down to things like the type of blend or, you know, um, the the warmth of the milk rather than looking at, at all these different factors. Yeah, that's, um, that's certainly true. There's a lot of, um, you know, explicit measurement that can really help uh, baristas uh, or the coffee making process be you know more consistent and produce a better result. Um, not to say that you can't make nice coffee without it, um, but you know your consistency is definitely going to suffer if you're not sort of using these measurement uh, tools to mm. to sort of make your process uh, more consistent. Speaking of measurements, there has been a, a big movement recently towards having more in home options to to make coffee a bit easier. I know I'm not someone who can, I can't even operate the station coffee machine, so I'm, I'm not going to be able to grind my beans. And I love that. You can you can operate this panel and get radio on air, but yeah, the coffee machine. It's been five years, I can't do the <laughs> coffee machine. Uh, but uh, when it comes to things like pods or um, machines that make it for you, there has been an increasing uh, at-home option where if you think about it, they're, they're saying, well, we've made the perfect dose for you and, and you just need to pop it in our machine, we'll do the rest. 
and even any... little handheld like camping sort of ones. I mean, yeah. there seem to be no end. Well, everyone wants to be able to take you know delicious coffee everywhere, yeah. um, and you know, the convenience factor of being able to have it in your home um, is super valuable, and um, it's indisputable really that um, you know a pre-prepared dose like that that's uh, correctly prepared. Um, I mean, there's certainly capsules or pods that exist that might not meet that criteria. But I mean, um, you know, the big one is is Nespresso. I mean, that's the one that everyone thinks of. Um, and you know, objectively, the way that they prepare their coffee, um, it's actually very consistent mm. and very repeatable. And that's why they're so popular, is because so you can put a capsule in their machine, um, and they'll it, you can you can brew it, and it will just taste the same every time if you get the same. Uh, you know, you choose the same capsule. Um, and consistency is a huge part of what you know, people want from their coffee experience. They don't want to be surprised. So if- interesting you say this because a year ago we interviewed an R&D guy from um, one of the big coffee houses in Melbourne about all the different technology going on in coffee at the, at, the, at the time and we expected him to slam all the pods out there and he's like, yeah, they've got some problems with, you know, being recycled and, and you yeah, know, that certainly. sort of, yes. yeah, the supply chain. But... Um, but in terms of the actual product, he said something very similar and we were, we were quite surprised. But if you're like me and um, incorrectly used a pod machine in front of a whole <laughs> conference and then had to make tea instead because you just got water, uh, having a, a robot do some of that for you <laughs> yeah, might, be good. might be a really great help. Um, but is there yeah, anything... Like, do, you, do will robots be coming into homes? Do you think in the future, or what? What's the human need? Because I always imagined that we'd have a butler that it would, you know, you could get it in the Sims, but you can't get it. It'd be like in, in the life. Jetsons for, for people yeah. my parents. Is that age. Rosie? Rosie the robot. Yeah, that's Jetsons? it. She's yeah. famous. Where's my hoverboard? That yeah. type of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Where, where's my half half? You know, skim latte, something or other. I can't think of a complex it's, coffee order right now. It's not enough that to have pods because you have to froth your own milk and you know you have to do all these other things and it's it's kind of hard some people aren't naturally good at that type of stuff i'm not an artisan well and i well, think everyone's busier as well you know it's it's about yeah. like how much time people have to spare for these little luxuries that they want to sort of you know treat themselves with um and even you know the pod machine is going to be quicker than like a full manual machine that you do in your house um but you know i guess the next step is you know then automating the process even further so it does take less time mm-hmm. or it's more convenient i think if we've learned one thing about this space it's that people especially in melbourne have endless appetite for different ways of getting coffee and this might just be another one of those ways yeah exactly um it's just another way to make coffee that is going to be delicious and tasty and um you know the more people that drink it, I think the better. Liam, where can people find out more and keep track of, of your progress? Keep an eye on our social media. Um, the uh, coffee company is called Once Alike, O-N-C-E-A-L-I-K-E for our Instagram handle and Twitter. Um, and we've got Facebook as well. So you can look us up uh, on all the standard social channels um, and you'll be able to see our progress and, and see what we come up with. Well, it's great to uh, see the innovation coming out of a local Aussie bunch. Um, and yeah, I really hope to taste that coffee soon. Thanks for your time, Liam. Thank you so much, guys. Hey. I think I'm a hyper just from being close to someone who's around that much coffee all the time. Yeah. Is that a thing? I mean, I've, I don't know. I th- apparently with ADHD, coffee can actually help you sleep a bit better. So oh, I wonder if I know, have a that's little a, that's a hot smidge tip of that. For anyone who wants to have some coffee tonight. Very interesting. All right. In Weird News of the Week this week, it's Warren's favourite segment, so I thought we would... Um, homage to him and and cover it uh we have this hilarious company have popped up 
They are the idea funder for terrible ideas. So they're a crowdfunding site and they're called Flopstarter, which is, I don't know, it feels a bit American to me. Do we say flop a lot here? Uh, it's a flop. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't but know what it we is say. A, it is a hilarious concept. So the idea is, I guess, there's plenty of people who put things on regular crowdfunding platforms and go, this is a really virtuous idea or this is a creative idea or this is a worthy idea. And they try and convince you why it is and to part from your hard-earned money. But instead of that, this site is delightfully frank and says, maybe some ideas are just bad, but we want to fund them anyway. I just, like, it's fantastic that's a real thing. And I don't think it's something that people would actually fund. Um, although we did uh, a couple of years ago have the Kickstarter for a potato salad that actually went completely haywire. This it guy, can happen. Yeah, this guy it, was trying to get 15 bucks to make a potato salad yeah. and he got thousands of dollars. Yes, there is there is a bit of sympathy factor. But this kind of reminds me of, I forget the word for it, but the Japanese had this idea for useless inventions for day-to-day life, you know, things that, that make things more convenient that you absolutely don't need. For That's, example, any kitchen gadget that will replace a chef's knife. Oh, so... Yeah, some of these, I'm on the Flopstarter website now though, and some of these actually look good. They've got a PS4 game, Park Assist Auto, an action-adventure game that challenges you to parallel park in the city's tightest spots. <laughs> now, that's something that I could use some practice on, so... But don't you think the whole angle of this is to be charming? You know, we, you know we're not big noting ourselves. We don't think we're all that. We're putting it out there, and if you want to pitch a few dollars our way, then then, you know, we'll do that. We don't promise to be a runaway success. There's natural death beef, a beef range made from cows that have either just died in their sleep or had a little tumble. Um, Okay, that's very strange. (laughs) We have a strangely hospitality-themed show this evening. Yeah. Um, And there's also coconut shampoo for your coconuts that keeps your... Okay, so this is... Yeah, but that's not a real idea that... Keeps your coconut's hair nice and, and smooth. So it seems to be equal parts ideas that are very niche and equal parts joke ideas that people don't actually want funded? I, th- I think it's all complete jokes. Um, the um, the founder, uh, he's also the co-founder of Life Faker, which is a startup helping users fake the perfect online life. Wow. So... You know. This is like the poke or something. It's amazing. Yeah. It's anyway, flop starter for when you're sick of all the other crowdfunding things. Set up a flop starter. Make your workforce laugh. Make your friends giggle. It's uh, it's pretty good. Weird news of the week. Uh, in non-weird news of the week, June 5th was the fifth anniversary of the Edward Snowden revelations. I can't believe it's been five years since we found out um, about all the different ways people were being spied upon. Uh, so that's just something significant. The implications of that leaking, that whistleblowing, um, continue to be felt around the world. I think there's still there's still been um, more Snowden-related documents and breaches um, coming out than ever, um, according to security workers in the states. So that's yeah. I think it gets kind of detailed, so I'm, I'm kind of skimming past some things that are a bit much. I mean, people talk about uh, how 9-11 changed the landscape forever. And I think in a different way, the Snowden revelations changed the way we thought about our privacy or we thought about being watched. Mm. Um, and 
I know in the last five years that's become a much bigger issue for people and perhaps without Snowden that that wouldn't have been a thing. So there, there's lots of follow-on effects and it's probably a good time to reflect and read up a bit more about it or, yeah. you know, um, think about how that's changed things. Definitely. Um, another period of reflection is that it is the time of year when Mary Meeker's annual Internet Trends Report comes out. Now, this is a trends report that comes out via the client, Kleiner Perkins consultancy that she works for. Uh, it came out on the 30th of May at the Code Conference in California. It's, to give you an idea of the scale of it, 294 slides delivered in 30 minutes. So it's a rapid fire whole bit of deep dive research into what we know about the internet and how people are using it and what's been changing. Um, what were some of the takeaways, Cassie? Have you got those? In well, front of you? Uh, apparently, people with internet now outnumber people without the internet. So, fifty-one percent of people have the internet and are connected. So, this means it's harder to find new users to actually um, take on uh, or get connected. But it's easier to get some of the older users to adopt new methods like um, online payments or voice recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the ones that really struck me was that there is a privacy paradox. So uh, depending on the way you communicate things to users, they say that they want privacy, but also lots of them will trade it for good services. And it depends on what they want, how they define good. Um, there was also uh, research that showed that companies of good service got more data. So they developed you know, relationships, trusted relationships, and then people were happy to hand over more things. They're also more profitable. Um, and one major example of that is that Facebook revenue per user doubled since 2015. And I think another huge takeaway, which really ties into what we were chatting about today, is uh, Mary Mika feels that jobs won't be stolen by robots. And she's kind of saying that, you know, in any revolution, we had retail jobs replacing farm jobs um, in the agricultural revolution. And now freelance jobs, uh, she thinks, will replace factory jobs. So um, freelance is an industry that's growing three times faster than the average. Openings are at a 17-year high. I know um, in many industries, we're looking at uh, employing more freelancers or how freelance work or flexible work um, can actually change the way that we grow and are more mm. agile and do things. So uh, for those who are afraid of automation taking jobs, maybe it's just a different set of skills that, yeah. that we'll be looking for. I mean, we're really hearing a lot about filling skills gaps. Um, the, uh, the other thing that went on this week was that Apple had their Worldwide Developers Conference, which Whoa. they always do. Um, and there's always a few things that come out of that. One of the significant things... Um, according to some app developers in Australia who were chatting about this on Twitter and I was, you know, just voyeuring around them, um, were that the App Store is um, changing their review guidelines. So they are now explicitly permitting free time-based trials for non-subscription apps and they can use... um, a certain non-consumable IAP to implement this. So it opens up options for developers that want to use a one-time purchase with free trials. So it's just a different like business model offering sort of thing. And we've seen a lot of criticism of, um, you know, pay to play sort of things and uh, games that, that model, I guess, gambling kind of modes of interaction. And that's 
there's been a real spotlight on that and just the ethical challenges and the fact that kids can be using these sort yeah. of things. And, and I think it's really great to see them getting a bit more conscious and going, well, we need to give people different types of options. So how can they how can they have other methods of getting users in um, to, to see different features and try different things of apps without setting up these kind of dark patterns? I've had a lot of problems with that personally, and now I have to um, only use apps that have an upfront transaction or a transaction after a trial or a monthly transaction rather than um, microtransactions. Yeah, because even if you um, have a lot of knowledge about the industry and what's possible, when you're in the app itself, it can lose all transparency. It's only there in that first, you know, download the app screen. And that's when you are most likely to be really excited about it and you're going there for a reason and it's too easy to forget. And they're psychologically designed to get you A, to purchase and B, to not step out and mm. analyse what you're doing. So I don't feel that bad about being one of the many that get trapped in that. Um, there are a whole lot of updates. Obviously, there always are. If you're an Apple fanatic, you'll be across them. Um, one of the ones I thought was kind of cute was a walkie-talkie-esque mode for your uh, watch operating system just because I'm a child and I remember loving my walkie-talkies and probably still would. Uh, it was pretty cute, but look into those things. Um, in opportunities this week, Cassie, Melbourne Web Fest is happening. Yes, so you've got until midnight this Friday to actually pitch your submission. Uh, Melbourne Web Fest is Australia's international web series festival and it's holding its annual live pitching competition in partnership with ABC iView. So that's quite a great backing. Um, this is Pitch iView. It's interactive and 20 entrants will have just two minutes to pitch an idea for an original web series based on this year's theme, which is 10. Uh, so if you've got a great idea, you've got a little while to pop that submission in yeah. and um, maybe you'll be lucky enough to, to get into that final group. Yeah, that's very cool. Also, Paul's Fest 2019, their call for entries is ending soon. Back for its ninth year, um, it'll be running from the 6th to the 8th of Feb next year. So you've got lots of time to plan, but they are seeking expressions of interest for that festival right now. So they work across the creative technology and business sectors. And if you have some interesting points of view in that area, if you've got some work you want to showcase or some learnings, then, oh man, I use learnings. That's such a tricky word. <laughs> I hate myself for that. Uh, but it is time to look at Pause Fest and their call for entries. Um, in events coming up, uh, there's an Internet of Things festival happening on the 4th of June, uh, which is a Monday. Uh, it's a one-day educational this Monday. Oh, sorry. Uh, that's my my problem there. I've left that in from the other week. But there is something else coming up. Excellent. Uh, which is the Web Directions What Do You Know, uh, which is 10 or so five-minute presentations based on something this presenter knows well. So, you know, kind of like TED Talk, snappy, short things. Um, there's always some really great different ideas across design, dev, ideas and more. And um, you can have a bite to eat and a drink and it's a really great environment. So that's on the 20th of June in Melbourne. Um, also, our esteemed co-presenter, Laura Summers, is speaking at Web Directions. So do come along and uh, hang out with her. Big thanks to our guest tonight, Liam Wilkie from RBAC and the Once a Light Coffee Brewster um, robot. 
Thank you for listening to us this evening. We've been biting to it, Cassie and Vanessa, and we'll be back next Wednesday evening. Do stay tuned for the International Pop Underground up next with Anthony Carew. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.